heed the drums and hear the call. When Donnie texted me and said, hey, what are you singing? What are you preaching on Sunday? You know, how's the time? I said, of course, we're in tribal living. And we talked about the fact we're talking about roles in the family. And I just wrote back. I said, how about you're the only Jesus? What a powerful song that is, folks. You know, that is important in the culture that we live in today. But mom and dad particularly, whether it be a, a traditional mom-dad family, whether it be a single dad or a single mom raising kids, I just want to tell you this. And by the way, grandmothers and grandfathers, let me just tell you this. It is so important because you might be the only Jesus they see. And I promise you this, you'll be the most important Jesus they see. Whether you know the, the pastors have a responsibility to be godly um, in our conduct and the way we conduct business and, and the way we do life, but the most important person in your child and family's life, as far as your witness goes, is you. The sermons that you preach are so more important than the sermons that we preach. You are the most important and might be the only Jesus people see. Well, you got from the video and right now from the slide that we are in our series, our family series, that we have entitled Tribal Living. And, and you kind of want, you know, what, what's, what's up with that, Dwayne? Well, tribal, think family, think clan. And how do we live with God's Word as our guide? How do we live within the context of God's Word? How do we do family life? Here's the deal. I honestly think that often, you know, we, we miss how powerful God and the Word of God is in adapting our lives, whether it be our workplace, whether it be at school, or whether it be our families. I mean, it has so much to say about that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound very preacherish right now and say, I really hope when you come to the house of God, whether it's myself or Brent or Dave or some other speaker, that you understand you need to give your utmost attention because there's, there's something there, most likely, if the Word of God is preached always, then there's something there that will help you as you do life. Now, I want to go back, and I won't, this is the last time we're going to do this, I promise. But I want to go back because this is week number three, and the very first week, uh, it was Mother's Day, and we talked about tribal birth. And we talked about how important it was um, that we bring our, our kids into the world in the first place, our families into the world. But, but more importantly, that second birth. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 3 that you had to be born again. Because it's very important, you know how, to get into God's family. Because it, it remains an issue. Um, this, this cross here, in case you're wondering why we have that on the stage, is to remind, remind whoever is speaking that that's what it's all about. It's not about Baptists. It's not about a steeple. It's not about being baptized. It's not about starting this or stopping that. It's not about being good or being bad. It is about that. And that why, that's why we have a light on the cross. And that's why that big cross is there to remind us to always tell people how they can be born again. And I won't take just two or three minutes and do that because the power of what we're going to teach today lies in the new birth. You see, the Bible says, and again, if you know this, just bear with me. The Bible teaches clearly that every one of us has sinned, that we are born with a sinful nature, and then as we grow, we sin by choice. And that sin separates us from a holy God. So there's this big gap there, a gap that we can never fill. Again, we, you think about a gap, you think about a gorge, and you think about building a bridge over that, and there's no bridge that we could build. Now, man through religion, I always say religion is man's attempt to reach God. And so man through religion has tried to build that bridge, but it's an impossibility. But the amazing thing is, is that God reached out to us. Now, don't lose sight of that. 
You know, that's what Dave was trying to say. That's what the song was about. That God reached out through us to us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When man sinned originally, a promise was made. A Messiah was coming. A Savior was coming. A Rescuer was coming. A Redeemer was coming. And the Word of God is all about that story, about that thread. And 2,000 years ago, uh, God created Christmas. And it means Christ's Mass. And Christmas is about the fact that God became man. He was born of a virgin and became a little tiny baby. And he was born and lived a sinless life. And then at age 30, he went public, if you will, and proclaimed that he was the Messiah through signs and wonders and all of that. Left an incredible set of teaching. But then at age 33, he wasn't murdered and he wasn't martyred. He went to the cross. Died on a Roman cross similar to that. Bigger, more massive, and certainly more bloody. And he died on that cross, again, for our sins. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Christ died on that cross. They put him in a grave. They thought, game over. It was done. It wasn't done because on the third day he came back to life. The reason you can't go to Israel today, the reason you can't go to Israel and say, excuse me, I'd like to see the body of Jesus because there's not one. Because he physically resurrected, they lived on the earth 40 more days and ascended back into heaven. So we don't serve a dead Savior, we serve a risen Savior. And it's not the best reason in the world, but if you want to go to heaven, okay, I said that's a great reason to become a Christian, but if that, that's not the best reason. The best reason is realizing you're a sinner and you're separated from God and He wants to forgive you. That's the best reason. But if you want to know you can go to heaven, if you want to know your sins can be forgiven, if you want to know that God can radically and, and, and individually change your life, that is the power of the gospel through a, through, a, through a Savior on a cross who resurrected the third day. And at the end of our service, we're going to have an invitation time. We're going to have a decision time. You know, we think that, that the fact that Jesus died is the coolest thing ever. And it would be foolish of us not to give you the opportunity to respond to that truth. So at the end of the service, I want to encourage you right now. If you feel God saying, hey, this is for you, this is for you, you feel that pull, come on down and say, Brent, I want to know about this new birth. I want to know about this Savior that, that Brother Dwayne talked about. And we'll share with you what the Word of God says about Jesus, about you, and how you can be forgiven. That is the biggest news you're going to hear all day. And then week number two, I've already alluded to it, was the fact, the power of the Word of God. We talked about it because, again, you know, in the culture we live in, it's just gone kind of wacky. It's always been wacky, but it went really wacky. And I asked this incredible question last week. So, what guide, what lens are you going to view the world? What guide are you going to use to raise your children? What guide are you going to use to, to build your marriage? What guide are you going to uh, use to live your life out? And we talked about there's only one, and that that was the Word of God. Now, let me just give you those numbers one more time. I hope you'll remember them and burn them in your heart because when people say, Oh, that Bible, it's just a bunch of, bunch of myths, you can't trust it. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about a, the, the most trusted and most reliable and oldest sacred writing that there is. You're talking about something that's, that over 1,500 years was written and it contains 66 different writings written by 40 authors. You know, the oldest writing is around 1600 BC and the last writing is about 180. We're talking about an incredible, incredible book and it's incredible because it is the Word of God. It can be trusted. It's proved itself through the millennia of time. 
That's why it's so important. Not to mention, it's God-breathed, it's God-inspired, and it has the power to change lives today. So, we preached last week that powerful truth of, okay, mom and dad, you've got a two-year-old, you've got a four-year-old, you've got a sixth grader. What principles are you going to use to, to help that child as they grow, and how are you going to lead them to Christ? And the answer is the Word of God. Now, listen. Sermons are important, especially they need to be based on the Word of God. But sermons are important, the church is important, all those things. But your relationship with Jesus Christ and the Word of God, nothing trumps those two. Amen? Nothing trumps those two. So it's very, very important. If this is just something you do on Sundays, you've got to move beyond that and understand you have a relationship. If you've been born again, you have a relationship with a living Savior, and you have a living Word of God as your written guide through this life. And that finally leads us to number three, and that is the roles, R-O-L-E-S, that we have in the family. And, you know, it's really, again, that's one of the things we wrestle with. You know, what's the role of a husband? And, Dwayne, what does this submission thing mean if you're a wife? And, and, and the students go, what do you mean, like, obey? Like, man, my parents are old. They don't know. You know, what do you do with all that? Well, again, if you're born again, the Bible gives us some really good answers to those questions. You know, I'm not a big sports person, um, but I do know just a, just a little bit. Like, for instance, I know when you have a basketball team, uh, remember who, who said it, but there's no I in team, and you have five players on that court. In order for those, those players, in order for that team to win and be effective at winning, all five players have to work together. You've got nine guys on a baseball field. And again, some seem to be more important than others, some hit more home runs than others. But the bottom line is you have a weak right fielder. You know, that's where they always put me when I was growing up in Little League. Okay, Taylor, you're in right field again because no one ever hit right field. And they thought it was a safe call. And, uh, but, but anyway, just leave right field open. And guess what? They're going to hit right field every time. You have, you have, a, you have a weak person in right field, they're going to hit that right field every time. And they'll win time and time again. Of those nine players, every player is important. You've got 11 guys on a football field. You've got the quarterback, yay. You've got the running backs, you've got the receivers, yay. But what is a team without an offensive and defensive line? It's weak. You've got to have 11 men working together. Now watch this. I'm really preaching out my level now. I happened to have looked up this morning and found out there's also 11 players on a soccer team. Know that. <laughs> Go soccer. But I'm sure you've got some kids that play well. Max, one of them, that plays so well. And again, every player has a part. So, so everything in sports shouts to us, it's important that the players have roles. Every man and woman does their role well, and that becomes a strong team. Listen, the family is no different. There are different roles for different people, but when we follow the word of God, it is so powerful as the team comes together. Now, here's the deal. We are going to um, probably do part one this morning. Um, I, as I prepared this, um, you know, there are about three major passages that talk about roles in the family. Of course, one is Ephesians chapter 5, and then one is Colossians chapter 3, and then Peter's got a small one he does over in, in, in his writings, First and Second Peter. So, so there were three major writings. And so as I did this sermon, I said, well, let's do something different. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. And I did that. And as I was studying early on in the week, I said, you know what? We cannot not do Ephesians chapter 5. We have got to put part of that in there because of the powerful teachings that Paul gives there. 
Ephesians and Colossians are almost sister writings of Paul. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute. So I hope you'll get your ears on. And let's look first off what Paul has to say about Ephesians chapter 5. And things go according to I think they're going to go this morning. How about coming back tonight at 6 o'clock. We meet under the steeple. And we're going to look about the last part of Colossians chapter 3. Looking at the individual roles that Paul tells us about in the word of God. Now what's so important about Ephesians chapter 5? Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18 through 21. Let me go ahead and read that to you, then we'll come back and talk through it. Here's what Paul writes. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. But, he says, now, now keep in mind, he's writing to believers, he's writing to Christ followers, he's writing to people who've been born again. He said, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another... And psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And in just a few minutes, we're going to read Colossians chapter 3. And what you're going to see is there's an amazing parallel at, right before, right, this, this preludes. Paul's teaching on wives and husbands and children. And Colossians chapter 3, that other scripture we're going to look at, he, guess what? He preludes again with almost the exact same words. And that says to me, this has got to be important. So, so why does Paul, why does Paul jump in and say, and don't get drunk with wine? Now, I, I probably shared this with you before in the past. But it's a pretty cool fact, and it sure ties in good today, is the reason why is Ephesus was a very, very um, pagan city. They, it was not a Christian city, and they worshipped many, many, many gods. And one of the gods that they worshipped was a god called Bacchus. Bacchus. And Bacchus was the god of wine and of orgies. And the followers of, those, of that god, god, of Bacchus, uh, god the Bacchus, Bacchus the god, okay, would think that you had to get drunk in order to worship. You had to get drunk in order to worship. So speaking into that culture, Paul says, now listen, don't get drunk with wine. Alluding to the culture that was where, uh, there and also alluding to the lifestyle these folks used to live. Because before they met Christ, there's a real good chance they were followers of the various gods that lived there. So he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. Now, our tie-in today, how does that... Okay, Dwayne, I, I promise you, I don't worship Bacchus, okay? How does that tie into our life? Well, well, first, what I just said. You know, there was a real pull. Now, listen. There was a real pull in that pagan culture to go back to your former lifestyle. As society was strongly influential in your life, you had a temptation to go back to what you used to do. That is true in American culture today. As America, who is kind of a... No, America has abandoned so many of its Judeo-Christian values. We have the things that we long believed about God and about our country. As we've walked away from there, there's more and more of a pull as society becomes stronger, culture becomes stronger, for us to walk away from some of the things that we believe as Christians. 
So, so if you will, Paul is saying, don't drink the wine of your former life. As, as you see your, your friends, as you see the, the guys you hang with down in the mine, as the students, as you see the students at school who do not follow Christ, if you feel that pull, don't be tempted to drink the wine of your former life. If you've been born again, if you have truly met Jesus Christ as Savior, make it a priority that you're not pulled back into your former lifestyle. Now, been doing this thing for about 32, 33 years now. Uh, Brent, you've got about 23, 4, 5 years on your belt. David, you've got 15 or 20 years on your belt in the ministry. And every one of us will tell you what we've seen. We have seen people who have genuinely been born again. Every, every evidence is they've been born again. In six months, and eight months, and a year into the journey, I look at Brent and go, Hey, what happened to so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? I, I, we've seen people that have gone to that Brent who are just like church people. I mean, they, they, they were born again and they, they went to church for years. And all of a sudden you go, hey, what happened to so-and-so? There's a great pull by culture to return to former things. Be careful not to drink the wine of your former life. Why? It leads to reckless actions. But there's something else. There's also... The wine of half-commitment. The wine wine of half-commitment. Be careful not to drink the wine of half-commitment. What are you saying, Dwayne? I'm saying this. Particularly in the American culture, but it's just true in general, particularly in the American culture, it's so easy to live a half-commitment to the Christian walk. Not that you're not committed, but, but you have certain areas that you've decided, you know what, I'm not going to totally commit to those particular areas. And, and time is a big deal. Time is a big deal. You know, sometimes you're totally committed and sometimes you're not fully committed. And Paul says, don't drink that wine. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, listen, if you want to come after me, you got to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. There really isn't much to say in the Bible about half-time commitment. And I'm telling you what, moms and dads, hear me. Grandmas and grandpas, hear me today. The young people in your family, the students in your family are watching. And there's no more confusing message to a child or to a student when mom or dad are half-committed to Christ. It's a very confusing message. Grandma and grandpa, it's a very confusing thing when they see you at church and you're doing the right thing there and then they see you in your private life doing something totally different. And I'm going to tell you this. Listen, this pastor has been preaching this to you for probably 15 years of my 16 years and maybe the other year also. Is that it's always the sins of the heart that are most confusing. You know, you may not drink, you may not smoke and run around with people who do that stuff. You may say, nope, don't do any of that, Dwayne. But when they see the bitterness and unforgiveness of your life and they're sitting around the dinner table and they're hearing this conversation going on and you're speaking harshly about a brother or sister and, and yet you heard the pastor that morning say you ought to love people and they're going, that doesn't add up. You know, when the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 4, train up a child in the way that he shall go and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's part of that. There's really no place for the wine of half commitment. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. But there's also, one more, the wine of selective learning. 
The wine of selective learning. What does that mean, Dwayne? It means we pick and choose the parts of the Word of God that we like. It's almost like a smorgasbord. You know, this was party weekend. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We had a party Friday night, and we had two yesterday. And I tell you, yesterday, we came as Peggy Jones' 85th birthday and walked in and shoot that thing F-O-O-D everywhere. Food city. So I picked me up a plate, and there was a pile of cream horns. I mean, it was like cream, cream horn heaven. And I looked at Christy and said, you know, I can have all the cream horns I want. And she said, you can, preacher. Now, I only had, and there are many cream horns, and I had two. Two. Okay, and one last night. But anyway, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, so I loaded up with my two, actually, I got one cream horn and went back and got the other cream horn. And then, and then there were sugar cookies. And I got me two sugar cookies. And then, and then there was a really tasty cake. And I got, now Judy, you can verify this. It was only that big by that big. I want you to think I picked out because I didn't. That's not the point of the story. I didn't really. I know you're all going, yeah, right, preach. No, no, the cake was that big. And I went down and sat down. And they had this wonderful punch, lemon, or pineapple something. And it was really, really good. And so I ate all this good stuff. What's your point, Dwayne? Are you just like telling the story? No. My point is, guess what? There's also healthy fruit on that table. Ask me how much fruit I got. Zero. That's exactly right. No bananas. No pineapple. No nothing. You know why? Because they had sugar cookies and cream horns and cake. I was selective, baby. There was only so much room in my little tummy. And I was making sure it had cream horns and, and sugar and cake. I didn't want the fruit. Although it was a better choice. Hmm. Selective learning. I wasn't done. Party number two is coming up. We go to Dina's happy uh, retirement celebration. We were a little late getting there, but there was still a spread that was incredible. We had a little plate of steak, so I got me some steak. They had some ribs, had a little bit of ribs going on. They, what was the other thing? I can't remember what the third thing was. It don't matter. It don't matter. Tater, they had taters, but Texas taters. I got me some Texas taters. Plate that big, load that sucker up, went home. Oh, over back tail. Yeah, food have been ribs and steak and taters. Does this sound familiar? Guess what else was on the table? Now, that would be salad. Guess how much salad I got? That would be a zero. Because I knew for certain by now there was so much room left, and I wanted to make sure it had meat and potatoes and not something green. Selective learning. How often are we like that with the Word of God? We take parts that we like, that we kind of favor, and we ignore the things that are so important. Listen, come back tonight. Ladies, we're going to talk about that ugly word submission. Men, we're going to talk about loving our wives. Students, we're going to talk about obeying parents. Um, We're going to talk about fathers, don't provoke your children. Those are things that we sometimes don't want to hear. But Paul says, don't drink the wine of selective hearing. Embrace the entire word of God. Because it's kind of like a package, man. This thing is loaded from flaps to flaps and maps to maps. It is loaded. 
Don't pick and choose. Eat the whole counsel of the Word of God. Why, Dwayne? Dave was trying to, to say something like this. I'm telling you. You want to know why? One, it shows our love. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Did he say that? He did. But you know what else? It makes life better. And, you know, he said it wasn't for us, but in a way it is. Because I'm telling you, when we obey the word of God out of our love for Jesus, life is better. You know, so you say, Dwayne, I wish I had better marriage. I wish I had better kids. Son, you don't need a better marriage in that sense. And you certainly need better kids. You need to get into the word of God. Because when we start following the word of God, marriages get better. When we follow the word of God, children are raised better. They respond better. Students, when we follow the word of God, you understand your parents better. When we follow the word of God, life is better. So Paul says, don't drink this wine. Don't get drunk with this wine, this wine of the former life, this wine of selective hearing, uh, learning, th- this wine of half commitment. Don't drink those wines because it leads to reckless actions. And oh my gosh, does it? It does. You know and I know people, believers, who ignored the word of God and ran head on into disaster. Can I have an Amen. Don't you know someone, and you said, man, he's a believer, but he's going down the wrong path. She's a believer, but she's heading for disaster. When you drink this wine that Satan sells and the world sells, it leads to reckless actions and leads to disasters. Hear your pastor today. So much of what is hard in our life could be avoided if we simply would delve into the book. Tell you there's power and Jesus, and there's power in the Holy Spirit. Now, he says, don't get drunk, don't drink these wines, because it leads to reckless actions, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Now, that's, that's a real churchy term. Be filled with the Spirit. But the bottom line is, when we become Christ followers, when we're born again, when we're heading in this direction, and we turn around to this direction to follow Christ, you know, God comes and lives within us in the form of His Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying that that since you've been born again, he encourages us not to get the Spirit because you already got the Spirit when you got saved. We'd rather be filled with the Spirit. I wrote some words down. Words like to yield, to submit, to to be directed, to be influenced, uh, to be governed by. When When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then He is there to guide and to direct us. It becomes a very, very, very strong thing. You know, this is where Colossians 3 comes in. You know, if if you got your Bibles or your iPhone out, remember what we read. Flip over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Now, keep it in mind, just like Ephesians chapter 5 preludes these teachings to wives and husbands and kids, in Colossians 3, it preludes, precludes, or preludes, the, the teaching to wives, husbands, and kids. And listen how similar this sounds. Listen to these words. Let the word of Christ, now instead of setting me filled with the Spirit, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and, and psalms and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How amazingly similar is that? 
And there's a reason. There's a powerful duo there. And that is, you have it living within you, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit. And he says, let the Holy Spirit yield to the Holy Spirit, uh, be governed by the Holy Spirit. And then you've got the Word of God. When you combine the Holy Spirit with the Word of God, you have a force to be reckoned with in your life. There is victory when, when we allow the, govern, the governing power of the Holy Spirit and we learn, we learn the Word of God. It's powerful. It's powerful. Be filled with the Word. Excuse me. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Word of God. Now, parents, young parents, here's the deal. For a long time, when I was a young buck preacher, you know, I was still raising kids. I did not feel like I had enough experience to talk about parenting. When I was younger, I didn't feel like I had enough experience to talk about marriage. Well, I am old. I've got three kids raised. I've been married 40 years. I'm not speaking from some textbook. I'm speaking from the textbook of life. And I'm telling you, looking back on my mistakes and some things I did right, there is power in the Holy Spirit and there's power in the Word of God. The more you allow God to govern your life and the more you understand you got to turn off ESPN and get in the Word of God, the more you understand that, it will radically change your life. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I, you know, preachers, yeah, we rant and rave, but some of us have walked this journey a long time. If I can help you avoid some of the mistakes I made, I mean, I'll preach on blue in the face. If I can help you raise your kids, and, and again, you know some of the mistakes I made, too much time at church, and not enough time with my kids. Great regret of my life. Great regret of my life. This old tongue spoke things that I should never said to our children in anger. Y'all, if I can help you not to do that, I will. I'll do anything. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit. Be filled, be controlled, be governed by these two things. Let the Word of God dwell richly in you and be filled, be governed by the Holy Spirit. And then he says this. He gives four attributes of being filled with the Spirit. Now keep in context family. Keep in context family. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He says, if you're, if you're filled with the Spirit, you will speak differently. I've already alluded to something. There are things I said to my kids I wish I'd never said. There are things I said to Judy I wish I'd never said. <laughs> There's probably things I said to you I wish I would have never said. How do you control that? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Word. You know, I love this. That we use this. We use this. I think on a Wednesday night, last Wednesday night. Listen carefully. Now I know the context. I get that. Act wisely toward outsiders. He's talking about our witness to lost people. But the other part applies. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of your time. Your speech. Hey, 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 daddy, your speech. Hey, mama, your speech. Hey, husband, your speech. Hey, wife, your speech. Hey, grandma, grandpa, listen, when you turn, when you turn 75, you do not have the right to say everything that's on your brain. Just because you're 75 don't give you that right. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt. 
so that you may know how you should answer each person. When we're filled with the Spirit, He enables us to be gracious in our speech. We have a lot less regrets when we're filled with the Spirit and how we use our tongue. I want to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have said something, it came out of your mouth, you, know, you just said it, and it hung in the air, and you know, you know it pierced your wife's heart. You know it pierced your husband's heart. You know it pierced your child's heart. You know it pierced your friend's heart. Wouldn't it be great if we could help avoid those things? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Word of God. You can't do it. He can through you. He can even master the serpent in your mouth. Incredible. Incredible. Be gracious. Let me read one more time. I want you to get your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt. But then he says this singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Now, because this falls in the umbrella of God's word. You know, we make melody in our hearts to God. But when we're making melody to the hearts to the heart of God, we're also making melody to those around us. I love I love Zephaniah three seventeen. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God rejoices over us with singing. I know, I know. I love saying this because I, for so long I believe it's true. You know, you think God's up in heaven going, I am so disappointed in him. What a loser. He better be thankful for grace because he never, never, never would get a second chance. He's not like that. He rejoices over us with singing. He, the Father in heaven rejoices over us with singing. And how powerful is that? When you know you're being sung over by God, you're going to naturally sing over others with the melody of your heart. A little amen? A little amen? See, what is inside of you will eventually come out. You know, y'all remember the group Foreigner? I'm amazed at the things that I was not planning on saying. This is one of those. Remember the 70s Foreigners? You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Remember that? That's the melody in some of y'all's heart. When I was a kid, eight years old, my, do- my sister was getting married. She's a lot older, obviously. And Mama said this rule, ain't no wedding unless Dwayne sings. Yeah. <laughs> I love you truly. Truly, dear. It still rings in my mind. I can still see my sister going, it's my wedding. You know, it's, it's my party, I'll cry if I want to. It's my wedding, I'll cry if I want to. But you know, again, the songs we sing, I love you. I love you. Husbands, what song does your wife hear? Wife, what songs does your husband hear? Students, what, what voice or what song do you sing to your parents? I'm not talking about a physical song. I'm talking about the melody of our hearts. And when you're filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word, what comes out is totally different than if you're not. lot less regrets. lot richer wedding. 
lot richer marriage, lot richer parent-child relationship. Singing, singing. Giving thanks. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, keep in mind, this is what happens when you're filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word. It's an outflow. It's an outflow. Giving thanks. You know what's sad to me? Too many of us go through life mourning what we don't have instead of celebrating what we do. So we go through life. You're married to a pretty incredible person. And all you can go in your brain is, if I was married to somebody else, my life would be better. If I was married to someone else, my life would be better. Don't mourn what you don't have. Celebrate what you do have. Kids, students, I know this. You go, I wish they were my parents. I wish they were my parents. Don't mourn what you don't have. Celebrate what you've got. Now, as a believer, as a believer, you know, Paul, God's word, that Paul writing says, give thanks always for everything. And God, God, sovereign God's over this. You know, in, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a grateful attitude. Listen, listen, when we're filled with the Spirit and we're filled with the Word of God and we have this, that it's just a natural outflow that we become thankful. Become thankful for what we have. We're going to preach about it in about three weeks. But godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Great gain. And then we get to where, and boy, it's going to be about right, you know, time-wise. You know, verse 21 was the big setup. The big setup. All that was gravy. Here's the setup. Paul writes, after saying all that, remember he's leading into wives do this, husbands do this, children do this. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. He said, this is the umbrella. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. He's fixing to say, wives submit to husbands. And that's all you hear about. But before he says that, he says, we are submit to one another and the fear of God. You know, this is, this is one of the biggest, biggest deals, one of the master keys of family life as a Christian. Now, I've got these keys here, and I've got something about only seven people have right here. And I know you can't see this, and I understand that, but this is the master key. With this key, Brent's got one, I've got one, Dave, Bert, Adrian, and a couple more. That's all there is. You don't have one of these. Master key. It will open any door in this building. Any door. Some of you have a, a key that will open that door. Some of you got a key to open the kitchen door. Some of you got a key to unlock the closet. But only seven people have got this key. The master key. And I'm trying to tell you, the master key, a great master key to family living is learning to submit to one another. Wives to the husbands, husbands to the wives, children, uh, children to the parents, parents to the children. I'm telling you, it is a game changer. It is like so huge. See, our nature and our bent is that we're the most important person in the room. Our nature and our bent is that we're the most important person in the room. If you're the dad, if you're the husband, I'm an authority. I'm the most important man in the house. The wife, no, I've got authority. And the students go, you don't know anything. I've got the authority. We go through life being the most important person in the room. And guess what? That's not always true. When I came to this party yesterday for Peggy Jones, I could have walked in and said, Hey, I'm the most important person in the room. And they said, No, you're not. Peggy is. You know why? It's her birthday. You go to a wedding. You don't walk in and everybody applaud you. No. You know why? You're not the most important person in the room. Who is? The bride. The bride. You go to a retirement party. 
They don't celebrate you. Because guess what? You're not retiring. You're not the most important person in the room. But on Wednesday night, we, we, we talked about this several a month or two ago. Jesus could have walked into any room and always been the most important person in the room. Only him. He walked into the upper room. Everybody said, this is Jesus, the most important person in the room. He, he could go by the lakeside and teach. Everybody said, I'm saying, there's Jesus, the most important person. He always was the most important person in the room. But guess what the person who was always the most important person in the room never did? Act like he was the most important person in the room. He never did. In fact, one night in the upper room, you know, right before he's going to die on the cross, he gets down on his hands and knees and washes the guy's feet. The most humble thing you could do. The most important person in the room washes feet. About 30 hours later, he does this. The most important person in the room allows himself to be nailed to a Roman cross and he bleeds and dies for the sins of an ungrateful world. He could have said, no way, I'm the most important person in the room, but he did not. He did not. And when Paul wrote and said, let this mind be in you, this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. We as God's children are to be submissive to one another. In other words, you first. You know, Jesus could have been at the front of the line, but he always put himself at the back of the line. These people wear bracelets that say, I am second. Always putting God and others first. Now, question. How would that change your marriage? Sir, if all of a sudden you put your wife and children before your own self, how would that change your marriage? Ma'am, ma'am, how would it change your marriage if all of a sudden you put your husband and your children before you? Hey, students, how would it change your life if you put mom and dad before yourself? See, see that's what, this is, this is so big because I know, look, not everyone here is a husband. And, and maybe never will be. Man, not everybody here is a wife, or maybe never will be. You may never get to be parents. You may be a parent. You may be a single parent. You may be a, you know, a single mom or a single dad. You may be a widow. I understand the next verses that we're going to say tonight. You may say, well, I'm not those things. But you're this. So you're, you're a one another. <laughs> and God's word to us one another's, which is everybody in the room that's born again, is Submit. Go to the back of the line. Put others first. In the direct context of family, husbands, put your wife and children. Wife, put your husband and children. Students, children, put mom and dad first. And you know what? Listen to me. It changes everything. It changes everything. Can I put it in a context you might understand? And and if I've ever portrayed this, then I'm asking your forgiveness now. Have you ever been in a church where the pastor thinks he's God? You know what I'm talking about? Dave, you know what I'm talking about? You know, authoritarian, my way, the highway. 
I don't want to get that from. It's not Jesus. And if I've ever done that, then you need to pray for me. Ask God to forgive me because that's not true. Pastors shouldn't be the most important person in the room. Husbands shouldn't be the most important persons in the room. Wives shouldn't be the most important person in the room. And students, guess what? You shouldn't be the most important person. Here's my challenge. Here's my bottom line. Would you try? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've been born again, which means you've got the Holy Spirit, which means we have access to the Word of God in a unique way through the Holy Spirit. Assuming those, would you be willing to avoid drinking these wines? The wine of the former life? The wine of half commitment? The, the wine of selective learning? Would you be willing to, under the pretext of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, speak in a different way, sing in a different way, give in a different way, or be thankful in a different way, and submit in a different way? Would you be willing, within the context of your family, to choose, to choose, to choose not to be the most important person in the room, but to put others first? I challenge you. Try it for two months. Now you can't do, it's not like you can go, okay, I'm going to submit, I'm going to submit. No, no, no. no. Spend some time with God say, okay, God, you know, I need your help on this one. It is not my bent to submit, okay? I, I, I kind of like being the most important person in the room. So Holy Spirit, would you help me to have a submissive attitude? Again, husband to wife, wife to husband, children to parents. Would you help me have a submissive attitude? And, and, and God, would you help me when that in urge comes up to be the most important person in the room? Would you remind me that I need to step back and put others first? Two months. Two months. See if it changes your life. See if it changes your marriage. Again, if you're a child of God, even outside the context of family, two months. See if it doesn't change bow your heads with me, please. The thing I love about the Word of God is like it was printed yesterday. It's the living Word of God. And listen to me. Some of you have known me for the full 16 years. Some of you know me eight years. Some of you know me a year. Some of you a lot less. But would you hear me today? I'm telling you, God wants this for you. Jesus died to save us and to save us and to save us. To save us from the penalty of our sin. To save us from the power of sin in a day-by-day walk with Him. And to save us ultimately from the presence of sin in a place called heaven. Enjoy everything that He has for you. By surrendering to the Holy Spirit. By embracing the Word. God, thank you. Thank you very much for the privilege of sharing today. Father, in the loopholes and gaps I left, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to fill it in. And Lord, I don't know what decisions people need to make, whether someone here today needs to accept Jesus for the first time, understanding the lostness of their sin, the separation from you, and needing Jesus. Would you just let them come forward and tell Brent, hey, I'm ready to know more about this Jesus guy. Pray for that, Lord. Pray for that. Father, you know the struggles we have as husbands and wives and students and children. Help us to surrender. Help us submit first to you and then each other.
Thanks for your word and the power of it. So, Lord, we give this invitation time to you. Jesus, I pray in your name.